Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 241st episode of MTG Fast Finance, the podcast that still stands, as should we all, with the movement to end racial injustice and defund police services in favor of more effective options. Currently, we also are pretty big into fair and free elections, so definitely get out there and vote if you're in the U.S. this week. MTG Fast Finance is your weekly podcast covering the world of Magic the Gathering finance, collection management, and speculation. I'm your host, James Chilcott, a.k.a. at MTG Critic on Twitter. My co-host this week, as always, is Travis Allen, a.k.a. at Wizard Bumpin' on Twitter. And we're here to help you folks make and save money playing our favorite game, Magic the Gathering. Good evening, everyone. Good evening, James. Uh, glad to be here and looking forward to sharing all sorts of valuable information with all of you. Our show is produced by mtgprice.com, the leading MTG finance community. Sign up today at mtgprice.com to track your specs, chat on Discord, and read articles by some of the best financial minds in the hobby. MTG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool nerdy stuff in stock, including all the best in Magic the Gathering singles, sealed product, and a plethora of other collectibles. Use the promo code FINANCE5, that's the number 5, during checkout at coolstuffinc.com to save 5% off your order and support this podcast. Travis, what is on the agenda this week, my friend? Well, I thought we'd switch it up this week. Uh, segment 1, our top MTGO metagame week in review. Segment two are top paper movers uh, and then top MTGO movers. So the cards that have moved in price the most this week, a little on the quieter side this week overall. Uh, segment three are paper cards to watch, stuff James and I think has a pretty positive outlook. And finally, segment four, our topic of the week, some pretty uh, straightforward ones this week. We got a pretty big ban in standard, not terribly surprising, uh, definitely needed. And second, uh, Commander Legends leaks are on eBay by somebody who seems to want to get caught. So we will uh, hop on both of those this week. Let's start out here, though. Uh, the Pioneer Champs qualifier with a very interesting first place deck, a zero land oops all spells deck. And again, it's Pioneer. This is crazy. And in, 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 in fact, between the Pioneer Champs Qualifier and the Modern Showcase Challenge, this is one of the spicier weeks in recent memory. There is a lot of action in these formats. And it's interesting because we just had the equivalent of Worlds this weekend. And I don't know how many of us actually even cared. Um, it was pretty cool because some um, pretty interesting magic personalities made it to the top eight. I think Emma Handy was in there. Autumn Burchett was in the top eight. Um, you had Raphael Levy and Gabriel Nassif, and uh, I have to look up who actually won the thing because I checked out before that. But congrats, to, congrats to them. <laughs> yeah, it was a, it was a really good week, a really good event, if only from the representation perspective. And I saw a lot of people on Twitter like, "Wow, getting to see Emma and Autumn uh, making it really inspires me to get in there." And like, I booted up Arena for the first time in three months after seeing that. So, I mean, that's really cool, and and how much that means to such a underserved portion of the community. Yeah, I mean, a whole bunch of bands came out of that. So basically, the it was all Omnath decks all weekend at the. I guess it was called the Grand Finals, right? You you're asking the wrong person, man. Grand Finals, MTG. Let me put it this way. We are both paid weekly to talk about magic, and neither of us knows the name of this event or what it means. And I'm pretty sure that fault lies on Watsy. 
Yeah, the, the grand finals and Austin Bursevich won. And I think the interesting the, the story that's interesting there is isn't Austin the guy that they banned uh, for leaking information about the changes to the Pro Tour uh, formulation? I remember the convers the event, but did they unban him? Yes, obviously, because he's in, he's in the top eight. So I think he got a shadow ban for in the winter. He was petitioning fairly hard, and I guess some people went to bat for him, and Wizards eventually reinstated him, and he makes top eight of what is effectively the version of Worlds for the year and wins. So cool story for him. <laughs> That's definitely a, a rags-to-riches story in this context and cool but the tournament was standard of course and largely disappointing because it was there was two green red um players that were burchett and emma handy i believe that were in the top eight and they got knocked out and then it was just omnath decks left and they were doing omnath things the whole time and it, omnath adventures was just running over the the top brackets of the tournament. And so we get fresh bannings yesterday on Monday and Escape to the Wilds, Omnath, and Lucky Clover, I want to say, got mm-hmm. banned. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they've taken out... <laughs> and and I guess we're... I, I saw the whole but a, a absolute tweet storm uh, in response. And mo- the gist of most of it was... We've had banning, more bannings in the last 12 months than we have in the last 12 years. Yes. In yeah. standard. That was the takeaway. So, pretty, pretty ugly situation and one that Wizards needs to resolve. Um, it's, But they're not going to, right? Like, we, we are, I think, pretty confident that this is going to haunt them through the rest of this year. Uh, I will be in, uh, we're in October. It's also, okay, it's in October. Oh my God, I cannot believe how late in the year it is. Do you find yourself looking at dates like like October, September, November 2019 and feeling like that's much closer than it is? Like I keep seeing October, like whenever I look at stuff and it says October 2019, I'm like, oh, that was like four months ago. And I'm like, oh, that was a year. In in many ways, 2020, I think, feels like the longest year ever. And yet still, it feels like, you know, Pioneer being unleashed this time last year was yesterday. Yeah, like it feels like it's like the the existence of all of our existence since the pandemic has existed sort of in its own time bubble. And I'm experiencing it. But at the same time, it doesn't feel like it's time that's elapsed. Like I keep feeling like the end of 2019 was just three months ago. It's very odd. But yeah, my my. Sorry, my greater point here is that I guess this probably won't be a problem for them the rest of this year because it's October, so we're almost done and there's no new sets coming out this year. But I do think that this is going to chase them into next year, and I would be impressed if we made it out of next year without several standard bands again, and well, one al- of the, almost by design. One of the key points that people have been making on social um, is that Whatever modicum of testing does go on for standard inside Wizards is almost certainly thrown completely off course at this point because so many cards have been banned in the last year that any planning they did 
for for instance uro or omnath or oko to exist in the formats and them in thereby inserting you know designated sideboard cards or whatever that are meant to counter those cards in the format the apple cards completely out you know, uh, overturned because those cards aren't present in the format. So whatever plans you had for what the meta was supposed to look like are just being thrown out the window. And who knows what fresh problems that will lead to <laughs> through lack of foresight and planning that are just compounding on themselves. And, you know, is standard going to need more bannings again in a month or three months? Or is this just going to be finally an era of, you know, recognizable fair magic in standard? It's, I mean, like, I, that's an interesting fact that I hadn't thought about. They might have been looking at it and going, well, this card seems like it might be, Omnath seems like it might be too good, but the Oko decks are good at keeping it in check, so, like, we're not too worried about it. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, okay, this is, this is not how this works, so, like, all the balance is upheavaled. Uh, it's possible that that continues to bite them ass, bite them in the ass over and over again. It's also possible that it just happens that it settles without that issue. We don't, really don't know. I did see someone say something about... I forget which Magic Pro it was. It's something like, oh, it's it's so nice. Oh, it was Yuza. It's like, oh, I can't. I'm so glad we got rid of all the overpowered cards and now we can enjoy Standard. And Pat Chapin's like, I'm going to come back to this tweet in 30 days. Um, yeah. <laughs> which is, which he, you know, is not necessarily that he's prescient, but that he, his trust is level is so low that he figures he can go out on that limb and probably win the, win the battle. Well, I think knowing Chapin, I think his point was Yuza's wrong. Like, I, I don't think it was, I'm taking the odds. I think it was Chapin going, no, no, I know for sure you're wrong. There's still a bunch of busted cards in this format. We just are, we, we had to get rid of the cream of the cream of the crop, and now we just have the cream of the crop. So while Standard is totally busted and may or may not recover in the near future, uh, Pioneer and Modern looking very interesting, almost unrecognizable from where they were even a year ago. And part of this is that these cards that are getting banned in Standard are so powerful that they're bleeding through to these formats. This first place deck in the Pioneer is just wild. I mean, if, if there was any doubt left in anyone's mind, cough, cough, Travis, that DFC lands are going to be making a major impact across multiple formats, take a look at this thing. We already saw in Modern, more or less week one after these cards showed up, that both Belcher, uh, you know, Belcher was reinvigorated and suddenly viable in the format again. And, and indeed, we're going to see that it top aided in the modern showcase challenge. Um, and there's also the Oops All Spells build that doesn't rely on Belcher. And here we have the Pioneer equivalent. This deck in Pioneer, a format where a year ago people were buying Mantis Riders in anticipate and Siege Rhinos in anticipation of <laughs> a fair-looking format that has already had to ban three different combos out of existence in its first year, is now looking at a deck that has 35 creatures, 38 sorceries, all of which double as their lands, and seven instants, which are also lands, and nothing else in the deck. It's running 80 cards, but it's not a Yorion deck. This is absolutely bizarre. You have four Balistrad Spy. Um, this is the 2-3 flying creature made infamous by the Oops All Spells deck in Modern. When it enters the battlefield, target player reveals cards from the top of his or her library until she reveals a land card, then puts those cards into his or her graveyard. So basically, this card puts your whole deck in your graveyard because you don't have any lands. Um, you have Black Bloom Rogues in the deck. This is the 3-mana 2-3 uh, with Menace that gets plus three plus O oh, as long as an opponent has eight or more cards in their graveyard. 
Two Haunted Dead. This has kind of got a dredge function to it because you're going to be able to discard cards to remove, take Haunted Dead from your graveyard to the battlefield. And when it enters the battlefield, you get a white spirit token. You've got three Kazandu Mammoth. This is a flip, you know, the 3-3 with landfall that makes it bigger. That's also a land. You've got three Paradise Druid, four prized amalgam uh, out of uh, Shadows over Innistrad, two Silver Smoke Ghoul out of Core 21. They can also pop out of the graveyard. Four Sylvan Carry added, four Tangled Florahedron, Four Undercity Informer. This is the uh, duplicate effect to Balistrad Spy for a mana less, but uh, requires you to sack a creature. And then we've got two World Spine Worms. Um, if it's put into anywhere into a graveyard from anywhere, you shuffle it into your library. So it basically stops you from decking yourself with this whole nonsense. Have you figured out how this deck wins yet in this configuration? Oh, uh, no. So, so the Creeping Chills do a bunch of damage, because that's the usual scenario. And then it looks like they've got four Eldritch Evolution and three Neoform. So they can turn any of their creatures into bigger creatures. And I'm not seeing the win. <laughs> it's making me feel pretty dumb. Uh, Someone's going to have to explain this one to me. Yeah, I mean, it's got Balustrade Spy, so you get to dump your graveyard. Dump and your then library into your graveyard. And then what? I mean, the Creeping Chills go off, but... And then I guess all the creatures pop out of your graveyard? You get... I think you get your four prized amalgams and your silver smoke ghouls. Because we had a deck like this before. And I think that's basically what it is. Yeah, so I, I guess what it is, is you get any creature on the battlefield. You use Neoform and Eldritch Evolution to turn it into a Balistrid Spy or an Undercity Informer. That presumably leads to you flipping your whole deck into your graveyard, pops a whole bunch of creatures back out. The World Spine Worm makes sure you never lose from, from decking, because anytime that you draw it, you're uh, able to... Um, get it into the graveyard and then put it back on top. And then from there, you're just attacking with everything that popped out, I suppose. Yeah, I I, I don't see a specific combo in here. I'm pretty sure this is a, com- a combination of um, the Prize Amalgams, some of the Black Bloom Rogues, some of the Silver Smoke Ghouls, and the Creeping Chills. Um, I think that's probably what your goal is here. And you're using the, the Flip Lands, of course, to to hit your land drops to actually cast a couple spells. Uh, it's just that it makes your ball straight spies and your undercity informers completely go off on turn four. And if you haven't done the full combo with the spy or the, um, the spy or the undercity informer, you could Agadim's awakening mid game and, get some stuff from the graveyard back into play and start trying to build out from there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Anyway, this is Pioneer, folks, not Modern. This deck looks crazy. I'm very curious to see if this, whether this is going to be a, you know, a one-time thing or you're going to see this take over in the format. This looks nasty enough that I could see this doing some real work and potentially catching a ban. 
Uh, yeah, this is, I feel like there's absolutely no middle ground for this deck. Either it is hateable out of the format or they ban it. Uh, and I don't see it going either way. I, I can see it going either way. I can't see it going any other direction. I mean, it feels like instant speed, remove your graveyard should be able to deal with a lot of it, right? Yeah, I would expect as much. It's also, I would imagine, a little slow. Um, it doesn't seem like they have any real mana acceleration. I mean, they have the, uh, whatchamacallit. And their lands all come into play tap for the most part, the, except for the mythic ones. Right. You have the uh, Karyatids. I mean, you have the Karyatids and the Florahedron. So you have do have some, like, you have that creature on the Paradise Druid, too. So they're really trying to use um, to use those two drops to move their mana forward, which means they're probably a little soft to having those killed. Um, they're probably soft to red, like an aggressive burn deck who's going to put a lot of pressure on very early and might be able to pick off a couple mana dorks. Like you said, graveyard removal or leyline of the void is going to be very aggravating for them. Uh, so it's it's hateable, but I mean these combo decks are always hateable. It's just a question of do the cards that do the cards that interact with the deck profitably? Uh, are they something you can run? Everyone else can run in their sideboard. If they're too far out in left field, then then you split the format, and that's where you get a problem. That's a weird driven to despair, driven slash despair that's in that deck. They're using four Thoughtseize to clear the path, which is a, a symbol of feeling like they need to get rid of the whatever the relevant disruption is if they have the chance. The the Despair has got to be a way to push through damage. Because when you dump your whole deck, the Despair goes in. And then you if you have like your, um, you know, all your prize amalgams and whatnot, you just cast Despair once and suddenly blocking becomes a pain in the ass. Sure. So anyway... Thirty-eight double-faced lands in this deck. If this if this had showed up and dominated some Star City Games tournament one weekend, you would have seen an explosion of speculation. <laughs> this would have been a quite the moment if this had happened on an SCG Saturday morning. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That would have been exciting for sure. Th- there are twelve mythic DFC flips here out of ZNR, and tons of other potential specs here crazy deck i'm dying to see if this keeps showing up next week so moving right along finally green red mid-range we've seen this before in pioneer lately this is four craig around pathway into embercleave as the notables third place was blue white spirits now fourth and sixth place were also equally spicy these were jeskai yorion planeswalker builds which we've seen plenty of these are 80 card builds that are running like two luka four narset Four to to fairy three mana, um, supreme verdicts and a whole bunch of enchantments, and they run shark typhoons, and a whole bunch of lands. But here's the thing: in here they're running four transmogrify, which is a completely forgotten card from uh, Magic twenty core twenty one uh, this summer. That lets you exile target creature, and then you flip creatures off the top of your library until you reveal a creature card. You put it on the battlefield, shuffle the rest into your library. This is We've seen this effect before in blue and red, but they've reprinted it under a different name with slightly different wording here. And they're using it to go get the only three creatures that are in their deck, Agents of Treachery, on a consistent basis with as little as four mana. Yep. 
this is a polymath polymorph deck in yep. pioneer and you have um omen of the sun which makes a couple tokens uh birth of melt gives you a yep. token shark typhoon yeah shark typhoon can throw one out in, in a pinch so you've got a couple options and there might be some of these lands that I don't know if there's any lands that make tokens anymore, but um, yeah, I'm not surprised to see this because it, it's funny that Agent of Treachery is what they're ramping into, though. Like, that's so not what... Well, Agent's been doing work all year, I, so I know, cl- clearly, was... clearly more powerful than people ever gave it credit for up front. Oh, yeah, definitely, because I remember when people were complaining about the, that deck taking over, and I'm like, what? Agent of Treachery, really? Uh, but... Okay, I, I guess it's just it's just kind of funny to me because I hail from the days where like I used to summoning trap for Emrakul, the big Emrakul. So polymorphing for Agent of Treachery feels like pff, a two three. Come on. But also, we're also worth noting that Luca basically is transmogrify uh, five and six. Yes. Yep. Because it does the same kind of thing, and these decks were already running running Luca uh, and. So this this version with the transmogrifies definitely caught my attention. I almost went so far as to make transmogrify foil extended arts a pick. They're a buck, one dollar, and it's the That's... only printing ever. And it's from a summer set. And if the, and if we were playing Paper Magic and COVID didn't exist, I would totally have gone and run out and bought twenty copies of the foil extended arts on the slim chance that this would post up in Pioneer for a couple of years. Yeah, I got a dollar for extended art foils is just like, sure. Well, how much lower could the buy list be? <laughs> and obviously I have com- I have bitched many, many a time on this cast that going from a dollar to five dollars is pointless. But the play would have been buy list play, which is a totally different matter. Mm-hmm, I mean, mm-hmm. it, currently Card Kingdom is offering 13 cents on those foil extended arts. So you're not there yet. But. I don't think it's that crazy to pick off, you know, a couple of handfuls of these at a buck a piece and stash them away for a while. People will figure out how to use the card. We'll have additional reasons to use the card at some point in the future. Yeah, even if it's just a real slow gainer in Pioneer, like that's or not Pioneer, uh, EDH, like that's still possible. I mean, and Polymorph was popular. I don't know. I don't. That's certainly tempting. Anyway, that was fourth and sixth in this tournament. Now, the fifth place deck is also pretty spicy. We've seen black-white auras post up in the top eight of Pioneer tournaments all year, basically ever since Theros Beyond Death was printed, and they gave us all the the, uh, related uh, enchantments, specifically uh, Sentinel's Eyes and... Uh, all that glitters from Eldraine, and then Karametra's Blessing from... uh, uh, Theros Beyond Death, and El Seed of Life's Bounty, also from Theros Beyond Death. But in fifth place this week wasn't the black-white auras; it was green-white auras using Glade Cover Scout one-one hexproof. So basically, boggles here out of M14, a and then running Season of Growth, which I got had played against me in EDH uh, this week weekend and got it. In, did some serious work on the table. That's the enchantment from uh, Core 20. Whenever a creature enters the battlefield under your control, scry one. Whenever you cast a spell that targets a creature you control, draw a card. So it's basically an engine where you start casting auras and never stop. That's a fun strategy. I'm a fan of it. Uh, Pioneer has got some cool-looking decks right now, man. 
Seriously. So the black-white Oros deck, still present, it's in 7th, and it's worth noting that both the green-white and the black-white are running their respective pathways, so that's Branch Loft and Bright Climb, and then back in the green-red deck, you had four of the green-red version. So 12 pathways in the top 8 here. Yeah. And then finishing up the top 8, we had Lotus Field Combo, which has been hanging out there ever since, even though they don't have access to Underworld Breach anymore. For the record, by the way... I was Luke. I wasn't sure what to think of the dual flip cards in competitive formats. Duly noted. And I happily said I am willing to absorb new information and adjust my expectations. You are you are not the only one that is still not convinced, or not fully convinced, or has been tempering expectations with realism. There are plenty of people still going back and forth on this topic in our Discord. Well, I mean, at this point, it's hard to argue against it. Uh, they're very clearly powerful. I think that the extent to which they are is still slightly up open because like, it, it could just be a, we have them, let's use them, and then maybe it, it, they retract on it a little bit. But I don't think it's unfair to say they are going to be a permanent staple in some amount going forward. The ability to get lands or spells out of these things and the various ways that will be found to abuse that over time has me convinced that there this is just a huge ass pile of specs <laughs> and and znr is probably going to be looked at as a pretty crazy set in retrospect because of it um so worth pointing out that the lotus field combo deck runs three peer into the abyss that's the foil extended art i called it five bucks last week two in the main one in the sideboard and you do see this card popping up all over the place as well um, shifting over to the Modern Showcase Challenge, this was run by Canister, who is a machine, mm. um, you know, one of the best pros uh, in the game right now, and also a top innovator. Um, whatever you thought about, you know, the Sam Blacks of the world five years ago or whatever, Canister has to be on that list today. When he posted this deck to Twitter on the weekend and said he won the Modern Challenge with it, I couldn't get confirmation immediately that he had done so because I hadn't been watching his stream or anything and didn't have access to Twitch at the time. And I wasn't 100% sure whether I should post it to the Discord because I was in some ways assuming he was trolling. Because he said he made some comment like, oh, I won, I won the Modern Challenge with a slightly different version of this list. And I thought maybe he won it with something utterly different and he was just fooling around. But no, he won it with this. Four Sahili Rai, four Felidar Guardian. So Sahili, Felidar combo back in play in modern not pioneer where it is banned i think pretty sure uh sounds correct it's got to be banned in my pioneer right let me just double check that cards banned in pioneer in the great google machine Let's see. Yeah, Felidar Guardian's banned. Okay. So here we have this combo, which was banned out of Standard, if I'm not mistaken, banned out of Pioneer, and is now setting up shop in Modern. And he's pairing it up with Teferi Time Raveler, card we see over and over and over again. Renin 6, easily the most powerful uh, Planeswalker other than Oko printed in the last year. And 3 Omnath, 2 Uro, so two other banned out of standard cards. 
Four Path to Exile, three Remand, four Oath of Nyssa, and four Utopia Sprawl. With 24 lands. That, I mean, it's just good cards. Like, it's just a, <laughs> it's, a pile of good cards. It's just, it's just canister good stuff, dot deck. Yeah, I mean, there's there's not really anything else going on there, as best as I can tell. It's just a bunch of really good cards. The, the only way to search up that combo is Oath of Nyssa letting you dig a little deeper. Yeah. And other than that, you are just leveraging... You know, the efficiency of Path to Exile and Remand and Utopia Sprawl with Omnath being fairly busted. Yeah. Uh, Again, I wish Paper Magic was a thing right now because this deck played by this player to this result would be moving some cardboard. It it, Honestly, it feels a little like um, Jund. Just in that it's just a bunch of very powerful, efficient cards just just the absolute best of the best and just let them do what they will do type of thing so this is one worth keeping an eye on uh, given who tabled it and his typical critique of bad decks so worth keeping an eye on whether this this is persistent because with Felidar Guardian banned out of two formats, don't see Wizards being in a rush to reprint it. Neither do I, nor do I see them having any slot in the available future other than maybe something like the list where Sahili Rai would ever show up. So foil Sahili Rise in a world where this deck was actually being tabled in paper would almost certainly finally take off or take off for the, I don't know, fourth, fifth, sixth time, however many times this combo has gotten people excited. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And... I also have this to say about Omnath. Anybody who thinks that they should be dumping Omnath this week, I would be rethinking that. Like, if you believe it's so good that it will also catch bands in Pioneer and Modern before we ever even get a chance to play it in paper, that's one thing. You, you can table that argument if you think you're deep enough into the formats to know that to be the case. But if you believe that it's just going to be great, you know, if, if cards like Teferi Time Raveler and Renin Six and whatever else are okay in modern then omnath probably is too and i mean the card can be countered the card can be killed <laughs> it, it seems fair in modern and between modern and edh i think that's really all you need for omnath to be a real real deal long term yeah i mean i i, I think edh alone is probably going to be enough to pull these forward down the road and any additional demand from these other formats is just going to be gravy. Yeah. All right, so that was first in the challenge. <clears throat> Second was Uro Omnath Control, but without the combo. We've seen versions of this the last few weeks. So this is like seven Planeswalkers, Jaces, Teferis, Renin Six as well, Omnaths and Uros, an Hour of Promise, and then 17 like Counterspells and, and Paths and Bolts and whatever. Um, nothing new there. That's pretty much the same thing that you see in the third place slot. So it's like Canister one-upped these de- this this list with the combo version. Um, and then fourth place, you have green-white creature combo. So this is basically your, your spike feeders and walking ballistas with conclave mentors and Heliod's Suncrowned and then Ranger Captain of Eos to go get one drops that you need. Um, 
Orioch champions keep you alive against the red prowess decks and so forth, blocking whatever they need to and gaining you life whenever creatures enter the battlefield. Um, and then they've got collected companies and Eladomri's call to pull together their game-winning combos. That's a nifty little deck there. The, uh... Yeah, Orioch champion coming back, huh? Been a while. Seems like that's a response to the red prowess decks that were all over the place. Yeah. It, it blocks all their creatures all day long, and they get further and further away from their end goal the more creatures they commit to the table to try to overwhelm. Yeah, that card, when it's good, is just disgustingly backbroken. Oh, I'm impressed at how much Utopia Sprawl is getting played here, um, especially in the Canisters deck with no Arbor Elf. I mean, t- traditionally, Utopia Sprawl pairs with Arbor Elf, but um, like we see in this one, but in his deck, it didn't even have the Elf, which is kind of funny. Yeah. The uh, fifth place is a more classical-looking blue-white control deck that almost seems lazy <laughs> compared to the complexity and innovation in a lot of these other lists this week. This guy just loaded up his list from like nine months ago, ten months ago. I was like, yeah, whatever. Just run with it. See what happens. See how it feels. Yeah, I, I play this every week, and I'm pretty good with it. Yeah, even his land base looks just way too simple for 2020. Uh, your that... lands are lands? What an idiot. <laughs> So they're just normal lands. They just make two colors. Um, sixth place, humans list. And the, I guess the interesting thing here is General Kudro is, seems to be off the menu at present. And you can see Militia Buglers back in the list. Mm-hmm. Um, but no uh, Skyclave set up here. Not in this list. This is, this is kind of like humans two years ago. Uh, and then seventh place is the Charbelcher version of uh, rocking a whole bunch of DFCs. So they've got the Turn Timber Symbiosis, Shatter School Smashing, Recross the Paths, Iron Craig Feet out of Eldraine, and then Balagant Recovery as a four of, Three Tangled Florahedron, and they're doing Belcher things. It's the fact that the DFCs are not limited to one list but multiple that are trying to abuse the uh, spell lands that don't count as lands function but that they are also showing up in all of these other lists where they're just generating value Uh, and then eighth place here we have another uh, four color control with omnath and uro so that's three of the, the available top eight omnath tons of doing tons of work uro doing tons of work all these planeswalkers they gave us in the last couple years just constant presences in the format and there's not a single aggro deck of note here unless you consider uh humans and the green white creature combo decks to have uh aggro modes omnath having four toughness is just such a beating it's so annoying to kill him it's actually funny that i made fun of mantis rider purchases for pioneer earlier since it's a four of in this version of the humans list yeah, I was kind of thinking about that as you were saying it. I'm like, uh, Mantis Rider might still be fine. <laughs> but we, people, th- people thought the format was going to look different than it did, but... I mean, we haven't seen Mantis Rider in the humans list for a while. I'm assuming that's a response to all the Planeswalkers. You want to be able to attack at with haste, hastiness and ignore blockers. Yeah, I mean, it's just it's just a fine value creature flying. If everyone's playing a ground game, it's useful in that regard. Mm-hmm. anyway pioneer and modern looking looking real interesting this week very curious to see how much of this stuff uh, shows up next week again 
Um, moving on over to segment two, our top paper movers. Tons of stuff on the move, but a lot less of it seemed very interesting. You got trade routes, uh, non-foils, I believe, going from 350 to $5. Very minimal movement, but that is on the back of Omnath EDH use, almost certainly. Um, being able to pick up lands and drop them again is exactly what Omnath decks want to be doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, Flagstones of Trocare out of Ultimate Masters. Foils going from 25 to 40 That's on the back of the White Green Titan list in Modern that didn't show up in this top eight, but has shown up the last couple of weeks. Lotus Petal uh, Masterpiece uh, Edition Inventions going from 300 to 500 I, you can, I think you can ignore those numbers. That's just what... There's just basically nothing left on but, TCG at this point. I mean, this has got to be a 180 to $220 card. Yep. I agree, but just um, and it, which is just absolutely insane to say. But like you, I in if they print another invention that has Lotus Petal, it might take some of the wind out of these sales, uh, because that might run into the issue of well, there's only one good Lotus Petal printing right now, but give us a second one. You know the same type of problem that you have with the Portal cards, or, um, but even without that, this is just going to be like, yeah, what are you going to do about it? I'm of the opinion that an invention level version would certainly slow dramatically the number of eyeballs on this version, but that this is drained so hard at this point and so difficult for vendors to restock, especially during the, in the in the COVID scenario, that even if you know sixty or seventy percent of people preferred whatever new version they printed, and like you're gonna first you're gonna have to show me the product where that could happen. Um, and so far we haven't seen it. I'm not going to aim to sell these at 300. I was picking, if you wanted to justify, have a yet another reason to justify uh, a year of pro trader at 80 bucks, people were calling this out in the pro trader discord, maybe two weeks ago at a hundred to 115 in Europe on card market. So even if you just pick up one copy at that price and unloaded it at 200, (laughs) there you go. Your year is paid for. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I think that if you look at, um, you know, a scenario where sometime next year they print a very good all art treatment in one of their pro products, you know, if people are back in stores and I already own the Invention Lotus Petals and I go, okay, well, the foil borderless foil invention 2.0 lotus petals are 40 bucks a piece and i really like them and the ones in my deck are 240 i can sell my playset for grand buy a new place out of the new art and have a ton of money left over to do something else with like you could see people with copies just kind of rolling their eyes at how expensive they are and selling them because the new version's good enough but that depends on the new version being good enough if it's not it's not going to happen I mean, there are zero copies of Lotus Petal on eBay right now other than one Perfect 10 graded that they want $1,000 for. Yeah, I mean, but the people who own these already are like legacy players who had them in their deck and they're just chilling. Like, those aren't the type of players who are going to be, like, likely to be that active. Like, they're not going to stores that often. Like, their legacy decks sit 
for a very long period of time. I mean, it's legacy. It doesn't turn over that fast. So they're used to just having their cards hang out for long periods of time and like maybe selling a card that spiked months later when they finally make it to a GP because like it's legacy things don't move that quick. So they seem like the type of player base that might just kind of be hanging out. And then what's going to happen is when GPs open back up that you kind of get a flood back into the market when those people finally return to events. I don't think you're going to get a flood. I do think it matters. Like events opening back up uh, will put some of this inventory back in the market. But the thing is that the price memory will be have been set at such a high level by that point that it's really really going to be tough to get enough uh, you know inventory cap- recaptured by the vendors and recirculated to make much of a difference. Like I don't believe this is a five hundred dollar card, even though there is only one copy well, one person with four copies uh posted on tcg player at 500 but i do believe as you said that this is a 180 to 220 dollar card now and that that's a great exit point like I, i'm pretty sure i was buying these up people for 40 dollars two or three years ago uh probably i lotus pedal was definitely one of the cheaper ones at one point not the cheapest but i think it was the middle third yeah it yeah it was it was very low so, I mean, this is just a ridiculous result. Ridiculous result. Us going in on those inventions at the time <laughs> looks better and better as time goes on. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you should, I was I, I sold a Crucible of Worlds invention for 150 bucks this week, and I just had to go in my stack to pull it out. And I was looking through all the stuff I have, and they're like, mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, this is good. This is, <laughs> is going like, to work out. I'm like, uh-huh, I have this stack of cards. If I sold all of these at, like, TC like mid-ish price right now it would be my new kitchen sure so the scorpion god also a masterpiece series version this is the amon cat invocation of the invention uh 45 dollars to 80 dollars um i have some of these sitting around that i bought just because i figured these would go up at some point i think i have two or three copies um i i didn't note any specific impetus for this other than that people are probably catching on that all of these older masterpieces are worth another look, and we continue to see them drain. Shadowborn Apostle Foils out of M14, going from 8 to 16. We, I'm certain we called these on cast at some point. Uh, this is Clerics and Demons this year, and the fact that this doesn't have a foil reprint. Easy breezy. Yep, yep. Uh, the, all these types of cards are doing pretty well. Um the Shadowborn Apostle uh, with the Clerks and Demons, the Rogues, um, and the... God, what was that one I just got rid of? The... Oh, yeah, the Cleric. Yeah, it was a Cleric. The I just sold the Celestial Gatekeeper, too. Um, another Cleric card. So definitely some movement on these types of cards that, you know, are questionable, but it's happening. And because the deck... I think Josh on Command Zone has a Shadowborn Apostle deck that he talks about here and there and plays on on their uh, you know very widely circulated content occasionally means that this will never really be out of the spotlight. It will catch a reprint at some point. This is the kind of thing they'll give you as a foil in uh, some version, future version of Mystery Boosters or whatever. I wonder but, if they'll do a, uh, a secret layer that has like 10 of these or something. Could happen as well. I mean, I, I don't want to sit around and, and wait to find out. The, the exit points are already present, so take them. I mean, even the non-foil versions of this are like 4 to $5 right now. So people that were in at 50 cents or whatever, you're laughing. Just get, get your exit and run. Yeah. Uh, like we were talking in the Discord today about Smothering Tithe. Like a Smothering Tithe in Commander Legends? Who cares? 
the <laughs> the exit is so good. I think the cash exit with uh, Card Kina right now is like twelve or thirteen dollars. So get out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and foils is twenty three or something like that. There's there's nothing to wait for. Wizards knows how popular it is. There's no point in playing chicken here. Oh, and and I took my exit like five months ago at a lower price and was super happy to do so. If you can get $16 in credit for every Smothering Tithe that you bought at 4 bucks, that's a quad, folks. Like, take it and run. Yeah. Yep. Oh. All right. What else is uh, on this list to finish up? Uh, wrapping up with uh, Escape to the Wilds, the extended art fo- <laughs> extended art non-foils. What are you giggling about? Just got banned. So yeah. hard, hard, hard to tell how much of the pressure on this was coming from how good it was doing in standard. Seems odd. I mean, people should not be reacting that way. But there's probably people out there that don't realize that you might have another 6, 9, 12 months before you can play Paper Magic again um, that are thinking about it much more optimistically. There's also, you know, this card has proven itself in standard, but also is maybe now flagged as a better than people realized card for EDH play. Um. If I had been on the ball, I would have sold the fo- couple of foils I have sitting around from Eldraine Collector Booster openings, but I'm so far behind in posting stuff for sale that I've certainly missed my window here, would be my guess. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, I think you're going to be fine in uh, EDH, though. Like, the card has really brought to the front that the, that this card is good and playable and useful. Um, so... That that boost always does well for Commander. I mean, just look at Omnath. So, I think uh, I think you're not going to be too upset, even if you pick these up. Well, you will be upset, but you shouldn't be. Well, you um, should. You probably shouldn't have been picking them up on the basis of standard. That much is clear. Yes, that's yes. <laughs> that was that was a mistake. Uh, other than that, though, we're finished off the week with Preacher out of the dark. Uh, very goofy looking card. 25 to 55 supposedly he's on the reserve list it's a weird card on the reserve list i mean we've trod this path it is what it is um it looks like uh over on our mtgo movers here james i mean you you're you're our our mtgo expert but as i was putting the list together i'm like this definitely not our mtgo expert i'll put that on on okra assassin our new mod in the mtgo channel But I do Between try to keep up on I, this as much as I can. <laughs> Between you and I, what, if one of us has to be it, it's you. Uh, I did notice that this seems to be driven pretty hard by the bannings. And suddenly people are like, oh, I have to go find something else to do in standard. And that's what this list says to me. Honestly, all of this looks like commander-driven play. Except a, for... The- uh, let's see. Forsaken Monument, I saw a legacy list running it. Mm-hmm. Um, Menguchi posted uh, a list with uh, two or three Forsaken Monuments where he went 3-2 in legacy, I think. So that might be behind the Forsaken Monuments going from a dollar to four. Um, a Shia Soul of the Wild is a, a deck in standard coming out of the bannings um, where there's a whole bunch of like cute things you can do. Um, with your uh, your lands uh, being picked up and played again. 
Tazri Beacon of Unity and Morrog strike me as more commander plays. Uh, Tazri going from 17, 0.17 tickets to 0.55, 223%. Morrog going from 0.56 to 1.37. And then Felidar Retreat has seen a combination of standard and commander play. Um, well, I, I picked up that they were all from uh, the new latest Zendikar, which I presume had something to do with it. Uh, and also... I don't know, those looked very standardy to me, but I will take your word for it that uh, it's not necessarily the case. I mean, maybe it's just because of the way the release patterns are on MTGO that it sets as in a car, you know, the latest set to have these kind of price spikes for whatever reason. Well, I mean, there's, there's more going There's more going on. I mean, it's entirely possible that there there's something to do with um, other factors can be in play here, like when uh, the ability to cash in sets takes hold um but most of this stuff or if something's included in treasure chests etc but these things jump out at me as stuff i've seen flagged in specific decks this week and not necessarily in standard yeah okay interesting all right so moving right along to our paper cards to watch um got a couple of good ones uh all of these are from zendikar rising so the caveat I will place on these is Zendikar Rising prices, uh, booster box prices for all standard sets are hovering in the like $30 to $50 range. <laughs> Wait, booster box prices for standard Sorry. sets are... Th- let me let me rephrase. Booster box values, I don't think in terms of the cost of oh. booster boxes, I think in terms of okay. their, their EV. <laughs> so the, the way my brain works is tuned to EV. Um, yeah, so the EVs of standard booster boxes is atrocious. Part of that is the refocusing on premium products and, you know, the high drop rates of foils and the fact that anybody that's serious about any kind of good card goes after the hard-to-find versions, which tend to be the ones found in collector boosters these days. Um, It's also to do with bannings. It's also to do with nobody playing paper magic and having any reason to be cracking regular boosters at the LGSs. So um, there's also a dearth of supply for Zendikar Rising. We haven't even hit uh, a proper Wave 2 uh, of restock yet, and especially on the supplemental products like Collector Boosters, which have been almost entirely absent in Europe and were short-shifted in North America as well. So pretty much any of this stuff that has a looks rel- like the inventory is not super deep, understand that we are not in theory, at peak supply yet, you can definitely look for opportunities to get in on stuff where the race for the bottom takes hold again. Because one of the things that could happen here is folks like our pro traders have pre-ordered large volumes of collector boosters, but didn't get them fast enough to dump them into the market in the first two weeks, which is when they want to be doing that, if they want to get a quick exit. And so... By the time they get their product this week, next week, the week after that, the week after that, like sometime in the next month when they really wanted it two weeks ago, they might be facing a market that has already moved on to, for instance, Commander Legends hype because the spoilers for that start a week from now and actually started yesterday because uh, some some fool posted a bunch of Commander Legends product on eBay for sale, (laughs) including prices of singles that they popped out of packs. So lots of stuff has already been revealed 
and the hype cycle in theory is already swinging the pendulum is already swinging towards commander legends and since commander is really the only format anybody can play right now and standard was atrocious up until two days ago you can make a lot of arguments that you know there's zenikar rising may be way under opened in the grand scheme of things um yeah i'm sorry well you know you can finish your your spiel the point i'm making is that product getting opened into a downward facing curve of demand is only going to lead to exacerbating the the race to the bottom and some of this stuff has already been pushed high enough on the basis of while you know Agadim's awakening or turn timber symbiosis foil extended arts probably should never be below $30 and folks have pushed them up um, hard to say how much the race to the bottom can drag some of the best cards down, but some of the mid-tier cards can certainly get lower. So worth keeping in mind as I go through my picks. But what was your what was your point you wanted to make? Uh, just that I agree that I think reading reading the room on what Zeneca Rising is going to do and several of the product this year is just going to be very difficult. And we're we're making our best guesses and trying to use the information we have, but it could. I have wondered over and over again if we're if it looks like we have this huge supply glut because no one is playing any real magic. But when the dust settles in like a year and a half, if it turns out that there was way less of that product, and then the EDH players set into it ravenously once they were back in stores, and it turns out that all those prices skyrocket because nobody bought it in the first place. I, one of the things that's going on is. The supply chain issues are unlikely to be solved mid to long term by wizards going back and printing inventory that they wish they had been able to sell previously. It's much more likely that they just kind of print less, end up pumping less of the 2020 sets into the market than they would have otherwise, and move on to the next stuff and try to get, you know, when the opportunity presents itself, try to get back up to full sales volume. Mm -hmm. Um, And that means that 2020 sets, COVID sets, just, you know, as we've talked about a few times this year could easily just be more scarce than they should have been. And if you have a set like Zendikar Rising with all these DFC lands and they see play in all sorts of formats for years, boy, some of these could get real pricey. Yep. So let's talk about a couple um, that aren't the mythics that we've already flagged as being obvious choices. Uh, Valakut Awakening Foil Extended Art. And this is interesting because this and my other pick are easily confused. Um, you've got Valakut Awakening and Valakut Exploration, both of which are good cards. And uh, let's talk about both. Valakut Awakening Foil Extended Arts. My rule of thumb here is that as a rare foil extended art, I want you below $10, and I'm hoping you're going to get over 20 For a Mythic, I want you under 20 if at all possible, and I'm going to aim to sell you over 40 So in both cases, I'm looking for a double up minus fees. Valakut Awakening is an instant wheel effect. Put any number of cards from your hand on the bottom of your library, then draw that many cards plus one. So you get to discard a whole bunch of cards, draw a bunch, and it only applies to you, and you get to do it at instant speed, and the backside of the card is a land that comes into play tapped and makes red. So you can play this early on, and then bounce it later, and use the spell side, and then use your Crucible of Worlds to bring it back as a, as a land, then bounce it again and do it again. And this is true of a whole bunch of these uh, these DFC lands. But the effect on this one is particularly potent, and I would expect to see plenty of this card down the road in EDH. 
It's been in 15% of all red decks registered in EDH Rec since the day it was released. You can currently get them at 9 bucks, so I think putting these on a 12 to 14 month horizon and saying 9 to 18 is completely reasonable. Yeah, the effect is very powerful, and we know that Wheel of Fortune effects have traditionally been popular with commander players um, ever since Nekusar was printed that's been a thing and even when you're not using them to drive your commander they're still uh, a powerful tool that players like to make use of uh, I also like that this has potential uh, multi-format demand because I can definitely see this making progress in um, pioneer and modern because it's not like the cheapest effect, like, I mean, keep in mind, first of all, that uh, was a cathartic reunion ended up getting banned in modern, right? Like I have that, I believe that mm -mm. is correct. Mm -mm. Faith, 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 faith is looting. looting. Faith is looting, which obviously was very cheap, but uh, at one mana. But the point is, is that sort of looting is very good. And this also um, keeps you card neutral, which is what you need out of these. But even if it's not the most cost efficient way to do this, uh, it's, a land on the other side, which is so good for this effect, because it means in your opening hand, you're making sure that you hit your crucial turf first two land drops in whatever combo deck you're playing. And then later on, when you just wish you had any of these effects available to you, uh, it's right there. And not only is it like doing one or two cards, you can do your whole hand, which can also be very important because you might have a handful of stuff you don't need at this point and you want to get rid of more than one or two you want to ditch the whole thing so i think the the card is very useful in both commander and um and possibly competitive formats nine is is probably about the the peak that i'd want to be paying for this just because I, it's not completely proven yet but i do see this as a type of card that kind of keeps poking its head up here and there over time um in a variety of places which is which bodes well for its long-term success the core point I'm trying to make is that this isn't a card where you it's just great because you're getting flexibility in terms of the land or the spell. It's more that in the decks that want this in EDH, you're going to get to abuse the land into the spell, into the land, into the spell, over and over again. And it's going to turn into an engine card as opposed to just a card you get to use one way or the other. So you're going to get to have your cake and eat it too. Um, there's a bunch of cards that are in this position uh, I may as well talk about the, the second one while I'm at it, since they are in some ways connected and worth uh, uh, providing uh, in contrast to one another. Valakut Exploration is the other one that can easily be confused with uh, Valakut Awakening. And the key here is that this is a showcase foil rare that I'm talking about, not an ex foil extended art. Showcase cards, of course, come in regular booster boxes. They also come in set booster boxes. They are much, much more common than the foil extended arts. Um, and they can also show up in the collector boosters. Um, so they're basically in all of the Zendikar Rising product. Consequently, they should be much more cheap and there should be much more of them. And it should take a lot longer for them to drain out. The thing is, I'm not actually sure which of these two cards is better in EDH. I got to play this in my first Zendikar Rising draft last week. And immediately I was like, oh, this isn't as good as I thought it was, it's way, way better. Because whenever a land enters the battlefield under your control, exile the top card of your library, you may play that card for as long as it remains exiled. That's cool. But I was thinking of it as a that happens once a turn kind of thing. The thing is, in the right kind of deck where you're making multiple land drops per turn, because you in EDH you have an exploration or you've got an Azusa or whatever going on, and you're abusing Omnath and so forth, you can end up 
having two, three, four, five lands come into play in a turn or even more with something like Nahiri's Lithomancing or Scapeshift. And you put all these cards aside. You can pick and choose the ones that you need to play to execute your turn in the way that you want to. And then anything that remains exiled ends up dealing uh, damage to each opponent. So if you end up doing four or five land drops in a turn, you cast one of the cards and four of those cards end up exiled, you do four to every opponent off that sequence. Mm -hmm. This is a very strong card draw engine plus bonus damage effect. The showcase foils are gorgeous, and there's going to be plenty of them. There is 91 results currently on TCG Player. I'm calling this to go like 3 to $10, but realistically, you might be able to wait on this one for a while. I don't think you have to be in a rush to snap these off. This might get down to $1.99 for 20 copies or something, and it might be a 16 to 18 month hold, so by no means is it a priority. But to you know, snap off a couple for your decks, Try it in your EDH decks and see how much you like it. And then watch those slowly appreciate it over time. That's a fine position. Pick up 10 or 20 of them for a long haul spec. That seems fine as well. Bottom line, the card is probably underrated. Uh, yeah, that I didn't quite understand what was going on when you were... I don't think I appreciated it fully when I read it initially. So I just looked at it again as you were talking and that is a very cool effect that you it's it's a card draw engine on your turn and then it wraps up with bombing everybody so you get some very nice versatility out of that what i really like is the price point um those three dollar foils are are tasty and i'm a big fan of that type of thing and with um you know over 10 percent of decks have been running it since it came out probably also that you know probably does takes into the fact that it's a little underappreciated um, in the way that I have been, uh, you know, if that moves up, <laughs> what? Keep, keep going. In the way that I have been, just slid that in there. Like in my initial reaction read of it, I didn't realize quite how good it could be. Oh, I, I thought you were saying that you are underappreciated in the same way as Valakut Exploration. So I <laughs> wanted to make no. sure you knew you are much beloved. <laughs> I, 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 yeah, okay. <laughs> no, what I meant was uh, I didn't quite get it at first, and I suspect that's probably the case with a lot of people. And if it moves up the EDH rec stat pages, that will bode well for its price as well. So here's the thing that's also worth noting is this is a showcase foil rare, relatively plentiful, should be plenty of these around for a while, but CK credit on these is already $2.10 and two seventy three. Now keep in mind... For the foil extended art transmogrify, Card Kingdom's only coughing up 13 cents. So they're paying way, way more for these, and these just came out. That that says to me, these are selling well for them. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And to, just, just to triple check, you are talking about the foil extended arts, right? The foil... No, foil showcase. There is no extended art of these because yeah, they yeah. are uh, landfall cards. Same damn thing. Well, no, because the extended arts only come in collector boosters, and the showcase comes in everything, so the showcases are much, much more plentiful. God, so annoying with all that crap. (sighs) Yeah. (laughs) Uh, All right, so let's jump over to your first pick. Tell me why Foil Oath of Teferi is back on your radar. Yeah, I think I've talked about this before. We've definitely... I I think this came up either before War of the Spark... Yeah, it seems like we would have been talking about this just before War of the Spark came out. Yeah, uh, but regardless, 
the Commander Legends leaks that we will get into in a little bit, uh, spoiler alert, have um, partner Planeswalkers in them, which is pretty cool. And it means we're going to see a bunch of them. I think they're going to be fairly popular. And people on Reddit were complaining. I mean, that, that should be shocking unto itself. But people on Reddit <laughs> were complaining that uh, the partner Planeswalkers would be too good and too ubiquitous. So I was like, okay, fine. A bunch of people are going to play these. If a lot of people are going to play commanders in their, or Planeswalkers as their commanders, what can we do with that? So I went and looked up the Chain Veil. Uh, let me tell you that card's like 25 bucks for non-foils. So... Too bad there. However, uh, the Chain Veil has a very high synergy rate with Oath of Teferi, meaning, in fact, it's 86%. So that, which right away tells me one thing, is that 86% of decks playing the Chain Veil are all so playing Oath of Teferi, Cause which most means... Because most of them are tracks of decks. Right, we sure. Which which means that almost all of them are blue-white anyways. So it's interesting to see that that color, going from an artifact to a two-color pairing, um, barely impacts... The, the amount of play the card is seen, which I just thought was interesting because normally artifacts are like way ahead of all other cards in terms of play just because they're not color bound. But uh, in any case, Chain Bell is 25 bucks for your non-foils. It's got a really high synergy rate with Oath of, Oath of Teferi, which means Oath of Teferi sees a good amount of play. Um, we're getting more these these... God, it's so hard to get the sentence out. These partner Planeswalker commanders... Um, there's only 30 vendors with Foil Oath of Teferi. Uh, so the supply is on the lower side, if, but it's not empty. Uh, there are, this was before like the extended arts and showcases and all that good stuff. So you don't have a lot of options. It's really just to pack foils and I guess probably some stained glass ones, I think, floating around someplace. Um, but the foils are five bucks. So I think that you can probably get in on these now and uh, expect to see a pretty decent bump on the back of these new Planeswalkers that are coming in Commander Legends. Oath of Teferi does not seem like a card that will pop up in Commander Legends. Oh, it, yeah, I it, was going to say that. There's, I can't fathom this getting reprinted in Commander Legends. I mean, it could, but I don't think Teferi is included in the set. And I think that having a kind of random Teferi card just to support the Planeswalkers in the set is probably a, a, a bridge too far. Much more likely that this will show up in the list or something, basically like the Chain Veil did. The Chain Veil is currently in the list, but there are very, very few copies of the Chain Veil currently on TCG Player because Zendikar set boosters were have been under-distributed so far in the U.S., so there aren't that many extra copies of the Chain Veil floating around. And prior to that, there was only the uh, Magic 2015 version. So the question does become... I could actually, of the two, see the Chain Veil being much more likely to show up as a mythic in Commander Legends than Oath of Teferi. And the presence of great commanders, plus the Chain Veil, plus the fact that Atraxa is still in the top five commanders of all time, uh, means that Oath of Teferi could easily catch a bump. And keep in mind, there's all sorts of other reasons to be chasing after um, you know, Atraxa Planeswalkers-related cards. We got Teferi Master of Time and Core 21. That is just a ridiculous EDH card. Every time I've played it, it's been it's overperformed um, because you get to do things on each of your opponent's turns. And if you've got Oath of Teferi or the Chain Veil out, you can do that multiple times, which is Ugh. silly, silly, silly. Like, That's... you can basically loot twice on somebody's turn, then somebody tries to attack you, you phase something out, then loot again. 
Then on the next person's turn, they try to attack you. You loot, you loot phase again. <laughs> it's pretty ugly. That does sound gross. Yeah. So, yeah, I think this is totally fine. I don't think there's any specific reason for the spotlight to shine hard on this, but I also don't think this is going to catch a foil reprint anytime soon. There's no product that's been revealed for the next year that makes any sense for this. I don't see them printing this into Modern Horizons 2. As we said, the list is a possibility if the list is going to shift set to set, which supposedly it is. But if that's the case, it ends up being a non-foil rare in that context. Uh, and outside of that, these foils should dry up in 2021. Yeah. So, sounds like we're uh, roughly on the same page there. And I'm sure I've got some of these sitting around from when I thought they would be a big deal for War of the Sparks. So we'll throw some, some of the rest are in the bad spec box. No bad specs, just longer term ones, etc. I, uh, I definitely have a couple of these stashed. I think I picked up some Japanese foils for a couple dollars back at some point in time. Um, so there's a rush. I, I'm, hmm? There's a Russian foil in my attracts deck too. Yeah. So it's not, oh yeah. Well, thank you for feeling the need to big dick swing at me over here. Big dick no, it's energy. just uh, pe- people. <laughs> I'm just saying that there's I'm I'm the I'm the target market for that shit, and people do buy it because <laughs> pe- people are still trying to throw the no one buys foreign cards rock our way from time to time, and. You know, yeah. the, the number of foreign cards that are reported sold in our in our Discord sales reporting channel uh, frequently counters that argument. Uh, I have I have a couple of these and I am in the position where I'd be willing to pick up more if I find them. You know, if, if I they're for sale where I have store credit. All right. So here's a flip land that's only an uncommon that still makes my list this week. The card in question is Balaged Recovery. Why? Because this is a slightly overcosted regrowth that is also a land. And because it is so simple and so ubiquitously uh, powerful in a sense that it does a thing that people already want to do, get their best card back from their graveyard. And the fact that because it's an uncommon, it has no showcase version, it has no extended art version, it is extremely unlikely to catch a reprint in foil. And the foil, you know how uh, in the modern era, foils have no price premium over the non-foils? Not with mm-hmm. this card. The regular versions of this card are under a buck. The foils are currently $5 plus on TCG Player, and there are only 11 listings left. This is an uncommon foil that I repeat, just came out. Why? Because this card is everywhere. It is in 12% of all EDH rec decks since it got released, and it's a multi-format competitive card that's showing up all over the place and probably going under people's radars. So in the uh, red-green decks uh, in modern that are uh, basically Charbelcher decks, this is run as a four of in that deck. The uh, Lotus combo decks in Pioneer run this as a two of, it's going to show up all over the place. It showed up. It, it's in the deck that we were talking about earlier. Uh, the Oops All Spells build for Pioneer. It's going to be in six, seven, eight different competitive builds, and it's going to get played in Commander forever. And it's going to be really hard for them to find a spot to reprint this foil. Much harder than your average card. So this could go years appreciating, and I would not at all be surprised if in twenty. You know, 2024, we're talking about how these un- this uncommon foil from a fall set is $25 plus. 
Uh, yeah, it's uh, that's all pretty straightforward. Like you're right that the reprints on this are going to be really difficult to do correctly. Uh, or I shouldn't say correctly to to do. Period. Um, uh, the play pattern is way higher than I would have guessed, but twelve percent since release is very high. Uh, you're getting that additional competitive format edge where it's it's a uh, land. Right, it's a flip land. There's only so many of them. They're probably not going to print more anytime soon, which means that the ones that exist are going to be popular going forward. You might get stuck having to wait a little bit longer on this, but I still think you're going to be in pretty good shape uh, here. So I like being able to pick these up as cheap as possible now and putting them in the back of a box and waiting. And this is another situation where because it's an uncommon, one of the reasons the price is is the price differential between foils and non-foils is so high is because, you know, we're not the first ones to realize that this card is doing work out there. And the supply chain issues with Zendikar Rising are part of why this is holding the current price. It's only a foil uncommon. It it will show up in all the collector boosters that are going to land in Europe and North America soon. So you could wait on this. You could like hope it's going to get down to two or three dollars and then snap some off looking for them to for it to go eight to twelve. But you know, how long do you, you know, I, I think that you could bite off of a chunk of them in the 4 to $5 range, hope it gets a little cheaper. If it does, dollar cost average down the ramp. And if it stays relatively steady, then, you know, you could just go, go deeper as you see fit. At minimum, you're going to want some of these for your own decks. Currently, there's no real buy list support. I think Card Kingdom is paying 50 cents or so for the non-foil versions, but isn't interested in the foils. Which says to me that they're, you know, they're probably expecting supply to overrun demand sometime in the near future. Mm-hmm. I I just know that at some point these are going to be the correct. These are going to be one of the DFCs you're going to want to have in your in your collection minimum and possibly in your spec box. It, yeah, the 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 distribution of Zenikar products could prove to be a a bit of a stumbling block in the short term. Um, but I don't see that being uh, that meaningful nine months from now. So I'm going to put like a long timeline on this. But, and, and I'm guessing Europe. Europe might be where we want to be looking. Let me just see. The thing is that Europe hasn't really gotten their collector boosters yet. So their pricing might be artificially high as well, even though this is uh, an uncommon foil as opposed to an extended art. Let's just see how cheap could we get these and how many exist. Yeah, so there's only, again, the one version of these. And looks like foils are under a dollar in Europe. So that's probably where, where you want to be picking these up. You can find somebody with, you know, even up to $2, I think, in Europe. You can find somebody with four or five copies, snap some of those off. Um, that puts you in the best possible position. So I'll put Europe on the sourcing uh, region for this and move my price down to two bucks. And I'm looking to get out over, you know, call it 10 on a long horizon. Yeah, I think that's uh, it's a great little card to pick up when you're doing other stuff and then get rewarded for in a year or two, three years. All right, you've got some sealed product on your list this week. That's that's rare for you. 
Yeah, it is. Uh, definitely partly because I was coming up dry <laughs> what else I wanted to go with this week. But th- honestly, this did jump out at me while I was looking around earlier. And I, I noticed it just as I was getting ready to leave work and I was didn't have time to get into it. Um, it's also on a actually a 30-hour timer as of recording. So the pretty much the only people getting a chance at this one are the people who are looking at us post the picks of the week in Discord. Um, but... Right now on Amazon, if you are a Prime member as part of Prime Day, you can get the Commander 2019 four pack. That's all four of the Commander 2019 decks. That's uh, Merciless Rage, Mystic Intellect, Faceless Menace, and Primal Genesis. The the commanders on the front are Angie, Falconrath, Savine, um, Cadena, and oh, was that Geed or Greed or something like that? Uh oh, Gered Conclave Exile. The four pack is eighty three dollars shipped, uh, which works out to like twenty, basically twenty dollars a commander deck. And if you look over on TCG Player, they're about forty bucks a deck right now. One of them is closer to thirty, but they're basically all forty. If you go over to eBay and look at buying a set, uh, it looks like it's about one hundred and forty, one hundred forty five dollars for all four shipped together as part of a package. And remember, Amazon is for eighty three bucks. So you can buy these from Amaz- a set from Amazon for eighty three dollars. Turn around, put it on eBay at one hundred and forty, and probably make twenty or thirty bucks each time you do that. Uh, if you manage to sell these locally and not have to pay shipping, that seems real good because you pay eighty three bucks from Amazon. You might be able to sell them locally at you know one twenty five, one thirty, and make fifty bucks on it. Uh, hard to complain about that. So not the biggest profit margins we've seen on stuff before, but um, I think it's very straightforward, especially if you think you have a out locally. Um, I didn't end up, I didn't pick any up yet. I'm going to think about it tonight and see if I'm going to do it tomorrow morning. It's mostly just that the overhead of dealing with a bulkier product is kind of annoying for me at the moment. But if you don't care, uh, I think that this is pretty straightforward. One of the things, and for, and, oh sorry, and for what it's worth, I think most of the, a lot of people buying it from Amazon will be people who are buying it for themselves. Yeah, as as Amazon. a play as a play personally, you know, to get these decks in your collection or get some key pieces out of them, this seems like a very good deal. Um, just over twenty dollars a deck is pretty ridiculous for this kind of thing, and these have been out of print for a while now and are unlikely to see a reprint anytime soon. Don't see that being a priority for Wizards for a while. Um, you know, Commander Anthology 3 could be a year or two out for all we know. Um, worth noting that the ex- expected value of these four decks on TCG Player at TCG Market is about $114. So you're certainly getting your values worth. I do have some concerns that there aren't enough $5 plus cards in in these decks yet. Basically, the biggest value chunk is a like Dockside Extortionist is a $30 card. Seedborn mm-hmm. Muse is ten bucks. Oren Foss, Frostfang is about seven or eight. Kirik, Son of Yogmoth is six, and then everything else is below five. Um, one of the things I like to do, and I have tried this move in the past, is if I'm trying to pick these up, one of the options is to buy list uh, to Card Kingdom or something. So you want to check what they're offering. You know, their t- top thirty cards you might pull out of the commander 2019 decks what would card kingdom cough you up and does that exceed what you're paying for them that would be a good sign um but i think keeping them sealed for a year or two if you're more of the you know long haul uh casual speculator and you're just going to flip some decks locally like you said this can be a fine option 
I'd also say that looking for this kind of a deal on Commander 2020 is probably going to be interesting as well. I would say that the card pool in Commander 2020 is deeper than Commander 2019 uh, because you have Fierce Guardianship and all of the free spells. And the reprint of those decks was also cut off, as we talked about last week, um, and is not going to be happening. So they may end up drying up even faster than these relative to their original printing. So I'm going to be clear that I wasn't advocating cracking these and selling the singles. Um, if you want to go that route, more power to you. But that honestly sounds very obnoxious. So I wouldn't try and do that unless you had more time than money. Um, I also agree that going after them at the uh, the t- Commander 2021 would be good. I was act- actually asking in Discord right before this, I'm like because I was having trouble remembering what a lot of vendors tend to sell the four packs of before pre-release uh, because almost all the time, like cool stuff, Inc and um, you know, star city, all those major vendors will sell like, Oh, the new commander products coming out. You can buy all four for this discounted price. And the MSRP on them is usually about 160 for all four right in that ballpark. And I think they usually charge like 120 ish, maybe down towards 110, but that means you're still paying Today, you're paying 83 for what was a good deal at 120 a year ago. Yeah. I, I just checked the Card Kingdom credit offering, and it looks like you are backed at least in credit. Like, you could basically get your money back out of this in credit via buy list if you wanted to. So it's a very low-risk play. Yeah. I wonder who's selling it. Like, it must be uh, like some distributor vendor who just ended up with a ton of them, right? Some... Well, it's definitely overstock. I mean, that's, yeah. that, that's the situation. And, and keep in mind that holding on to these is potentially a tougher play, like some of the older ones, because there are new decks coming out with every set. Like there was a, there's two of them that came out with Zendikar Rising. There's two of them that are coming out with Commander Legends. Then there's two for Kaldheim and so on and so forth. And then the main set of them next spring. So there, there is going to be a lot more sets out there and the overall mind share around them is going to be less than it used to be. Yeah, it's not. I agree. I wouldn't be looking to hold these for an extended period of time. Well, I think that to get max value out of them, you probably are going to have to hold them for a longer period of time. And so it's not a super high priorities spec, but it's certainly a very attractive price for personal use. Uh, well, I, I guess I w- my concern would be if I had these for three years, I don't know. Like, I'd be afraid of the reprints kind of eating the value out underneath them. Yeah. If that makes sense. That's possible. I mean, Dockside Extortionist will probably get a reprint at some point. Yeah. That, that's what, that's what I, that, that would be my biggest concern with these is it's a very good price on them now. Uh, and I, you know, the original commander decks are really valuable, even though those have been all reprinted to hell. But I don't think the other years nearly as much, especially not last years. So I would personally be looking for a shorter turnaround on this, ideally to your local group. But sure, I mean the question the question with the local group thing is whether this price is going to be hanging around online for a while. Like, sure, this is a a quickie Amazon deal, but you got to cover your bases and make sure that mvp or somebody else doesn't also have this posted because if you go on facebook or go to your local group and try to unload something thinking you're going to get the retail price for it and six other prominent places online have it for less then you're going to be in trouble yeah well i will totally fess up to 
I checked TCG Player and eBay, but I did not do a deep dive on all the other stores. So if Star City has 400 of these packages sitting around at $90, then I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. just You might want to just double check that before you buy these. All right. So our gonna, pro trader. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. So our Pro Trader pick of the week goes to Jeff1060 out of the Pro Trader Discord with a pick that I think one of us would have picked for sure um, had Jeff not piped up with it first. Thieving Skydiver Foil Extended Arts, currently around $10. This thing has showed up in 15% of all blue decks since its release on EDH Rec. It steals Soul Rings and Mana Crypts and Mana Vaults and Signets and all sorts of other stuff. And... <laughs> There's no, like, literally zero doubt in my mind that this won't go 10 to 20 like he's calling over a mid to long term horizon, say 6 to 12 plus months. I'm uh, actually very surprised by this. Given how much we've talked about it in the last two weeks, it just kind of is one of the few cards that have come up over and over again, along with the, the dual flip flip lands. I thought for sure the extended art foils on this would have been higher. This is the normal price. Like, when I say I'm, I'm, I target foil extended art rares around this price, it's because when, you know, the supply glut hits, when there aren't supply chain issues, this is, you know, they're going to get down to this price. Um, there are really only four, three or four listings on TCG under 12 bucks right now. But as people have pointed out in our Discord, you know, once all the, you know, the collector boosters catch up for Wave 2, these could get down to seven or eight bucks. Um, I'm happy picking them up. You know, anything under ten, and then reevaluating in two or four, two weeks, four weeks, six weeks. See if I can get them even cheaper. If they seem to be moving in the other direction, then I'll stop holding back and go after them. Because if even if we're not at Zendikar Rise and peak supply now, a month from now, we certainly will be. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This is exactly the type of card that I would be keeping a close eye on. Um, lo- you know, the TCG low and inventory levels, sort of on an almost a day-to-day or close to day-to-day basis uh and Zenikar as a whole too trying to feel out where everything was moving but as soon as it looked like this was starting to tick up i'd be all over it also worth noting that these aren't currently cheaper in europe because europe still doesn't have their even most of their first wave of collector boosters but once that lands this is the kind of card i would see showing up in our singles group buys for the collector boosters at like seven or eight dollars or something like if they end up being eight or nine euro on card market, then our vendors will sell them for a little, you know ten or fifteen percent less or whatever. So there could be an opportunity just through Pro Trader to get these even cheaper. Yeah, well, seems like a good plan. All right, that'll uh, move us on over to our topics of the week. Uh, I guess we already covered off the recent bannings and the problems that uh, Wizard seems to have with uh, maintaining a viable standard format. So we'll move on over to how about the Commander Legends leaks as discovered on eBay yesterday. Uh, basically how that went all di- all went down was some person probably somebody who either works at the Cardamundi uh, printing facility in Dallas, Texas, or possibly somebody who works at a distributor, although it seems early for that, um, got their hands on a bunch of Commander Legends and put it up for sale on eBay. 
And the pictures they posted were rather incriminating, uh, which leads me to believe this person is not particularly intelligent, um, included pictures of their pants, looked like their workstation at work. We're, um, we're not even here to talk about the cards. We're here to just roast this guy's pant choice. Well, pic- pictures Pleated, of... did what year is it, man? Pictures of the floor. I mean, we can't talk about the cards. We're not going to talk about the cards because they are other content creators' uh, spoilers. So we'll refer to them vaguely, but oh. we're not going to... Wait, are we, are we doing that? I didn't realize that that was where we were on this. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll protect content creators. I mean, we had to... Our, our Discord members have already combed all through this and somebody provided the cards were german so there were people were immediately set to work translating them and we we certainly saw planeswalker partner commanders as you referred to earlier there were some reprints that were clearly present there are there was some foil uh gold tr- leaf treated uh commanders as expected and Overall, it, it basically looked like the kind of set we expect it to be. So yeah, no, no big, huge surprises. For, for what it's worth, I don't know who would be listening to this podcast and also isn't the type of person to go look up the spoilers. Yeah, fair. I'm just trying to play the, the side of the fence that <laughs> is I, a, a, reason, a, a reasonable position to hold. I, we, I, you, there's no... as Kyle Lopez was discussing on Twitter yesterday calling people out for discussing the leaks in general terms is completely ridiculous. Once something is posted to eBay and has been echoed on Reddit and showed up on Imgur, it's public knowledge. Like the cat is indeed out of the bag. And so that sucks for wizards and it sucks for the people that they were going their promotions team were going to hand these cards to preview. But the rest of us cannot be expected to ignore facts. There are financial implications of this kind of knowledge that people have a right to respond to. You can't suggest to somebody that if, you know, they're holding a card that is known to be reprinted, they don't deserve to know, you know, which cards are involved once, you know, other people already know that because they could be out on Facebook or whatever, considering some cards to purchase. And all of a sudden, Mr. Suspicious is trying to drop 20 copies of something he saw is getting reprinted. And if you've deliberately put the blinders on and you're interested in the card, you're going to end up buying it pointlessly. Well, that's that's for me. One of the big points is that it doesn't even matter whether you want to withhold from it or not. No one you can't expect other people to not look that information up, which means you're now intentionally putting yourself at a disadvantage. Like you just, you're not, you're not accomplishing anything for that. Um, No, now it's not like there's even really any, and I agree, like it sucks for the content creators. I'm not making any claim. Otherwise it's just sort of a, you know, it's sort of not our, I don't know what you want us to do about a situation. And there isn't even really, I think, that much financial information to be gained here, uh, aside from maybe selling one or two of the car relevant reprints. So not a big deal on that front. Yeah, I'm just checking in with, like, Mythic Spoiler has none of this stuff listed. So, yeah, I thought that was odd. I don't know if that's because it was all it's all German, um, or or because it's still or because it's blurry or because it's clearly stolen product. Yeah, I don't know if that stopped them in the past. 
I don't remember. I don't remember. It, it's a really big past. leak, and I don't think we or anybody else really wants to be on Watsy's bad side. <laughs> like I, when I saw the eBay listing, I reported it to eBay. It's almost certainly stolen goods. So, you know, responsibility fulfilled to the the extent that it even exists. And I'm willing to not talk about the specifics specifics of the card in public until they are eventually uh, previewed. Previews do start next week. But in private, folks are going to be talking about this, you know, because they have a right to discuss things that have been made public knowledge to other people. Yeah. Well, okay. So I guess the relevant takeaway here is the partner planeswalkers. Uh, We saw two of them. So these are planeswalkers that can be your commander that also have partner, um, which, you know, is relevant to my pick earlier. Other than that, like you said, pretty straightforward. I think the couple of gilded cards we saw were pretty much spot on to where we expected them to be. Uh, There was only one reprint there that I thought, like, seemed of any meaningful relevance. It's cool that it's getting reprint with... uh, There's the the borderlessness, right? The extended art, which did we know for sure that that's what it was going to be? I don't remember... Like did we did, did we know that there would be extended arts? Did we know that it would be exactly that type of extended art? I guess. Yeah, because we knew that we were getting um, collector boosters, and there was no reason to believe that the formulation was going to be any different. Thank we do you. know that there are two premium treatments. We know that there's the gold leaf treatment that is being applied to all of the new commanders and 32 reprints, but the reprints are not in the set. They only get the gold leaf treatment if you pull one of those very rare cards. And the presumption is that those are available in both regular boosters and collector boosters, but that the extended art uh, foils of rares and mythics from the set that are not part of the gold leaf treatment will only appear in the collector boosters. Um, One of the things that we did spot that's worth mentioning that doesn't spoil any specific card is that we spotted foil uncommon extended arts. So that's new. Um, I well, would. They did. Didn't they do that with? Um, no. Whatever the last one was. No. That got people. No, people got all worked up about. No. It, right. Different thing. You you keep confusing showcase with extended art. Super different. They're the same. They're the but same. They're thing. not. It's not Wizards' fault for making these things so damn similar. <laughs> yeah, but the key point is not like you're you're looking. The reason you're confused is that you're looking at it from the perspective of these are both borderless treatments. Oh, yeah. But that's not what matters from a finance perspective. What matters is where can you get them? And there's a huge difference between extended arts and showcase because showcase is in everything and the extended arts are only in the collector boosters. So the collector boosters are front-loaded product. You Tons I, of them get opened, but they get opened in the, only the first few months because then they don't reprint them any further and they don't pop up anywhere else. They can't show up in an ancillary product later in the year. They don't show up in challenger decks or whatever. So the what you're thinking of is the cultivate uh, and 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 uh, the showcase borderless cultivate card that showed up in Core Twenty One, and yeah, there was a, but that was not extended art that didn't show. But up. Wasn't there? It was like an expedition map or something. Yeah, but then you, but that's different again. That's the VIP uh, um, borderless box toppers that show up in VIP $100 VIP packs. 
Yeah, um, that's what I that's what I was thinking about was because expedition map was not a rare in the set, but then it showed up in, as this as as a premium uh, card. But again, that's but again those like, aren't the hell? but again those aren't collector boosters and those aren't extended arts. So mm-hmm. this is the first time that we've had extended arts that were not rares or mythics, and this matters because, for instance, my Balagad pick today is in part premised on the fact that it has no alternate version. But if Balagad was just was printed in Commander Legends instead of Zendikar Rising, the implication is that there would be an extended art foil version, which would then ostensibly become your, the spec of choice for that card. Um, so there will be... Now, I, I presume that the uncommon extended arts do not steal slot potential from rare and mythic extended arts. I suspect they steal slot potential from like foil and commons. Like instead of getting seven slots of foil and commons in a collector booster pack, one of them might be a foil extended art. So they've shifted the formulation again for Commander Legends versus Endicar Rising, as they have done all the way along. There have been no two collector booster formulations that were the same. And this yeah. is this is the latest evolution. I I um I my listeners are gonna the the keen listener is gonna think that I have uh, the memory of a goldfish or something because just like three weeks ago I was talking about the UMA box toppers. I think it was those being a good choice because I'm like yeah they look like showcase like just some generic extended art cards which are really really common but actually they're really much rare because they're box toppers and it's easy to overlook that and then here i am today going no they're all the same damn thing um but you know if you don't remember the exact formulation for every product it's annoying to keep track of which ones are which because there's no identifying factor between that well i'm working on an article that that basically surveys the first year of premium product for exactly that reason. I want to have an evergreen article on record for us that our members can refer back to because even though we have broken down the formulation every time as the collector boosters have been, have revealed themselves and been analyzed, very few members probably remember the details. And I, I've already put together a graphic that we posted in our best ideas channel to let people refer back to the formulations as wizards express them. But you're not the only person in the world who has been confused by showcase versus borderless versus VIP box topper versus uh, regular box topper, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I, I wouldn't believe you if I, if you said that I was. I think, and I think that's a good point, is it would probably be pretty useful to have, you know, just a very simple diagram that says, okay, Extended art card from Ultimate Master. Extended art card from Ultimate Masters. Very rare. Extended art card from Double Masters. Not rare. Like, it just sort of like a very rough, like high, medium, low supply ratio for all of them. So you can be like, okay, wait, here's this card I'm thinking about specking on, but I don't remember the what the, how popular this card was and then you just look at the diagram and go oh this was one of the rare ones or oh this is one of the ones that wasn't that rare the, the simplest uh litmus test for all of that is number of listings on tcg player and especially yeah. if you're comparing number of listings within um 
a similar release time frame. So a card from 20 years ago versus a card today, number of listings is not going to be a great metric by which to compare them. But if you look at something like the number of foil box topper cyclonic rifts from VIP packs versus Balaged recoveries, there are way more cyclonic rifts than Balagets. Why? Because everybody and their dog bought VIP packs if they're in the you know MTG Finance vendor whale community. Everybody. And many of us bought 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 boosters. All of that got opened in a very similar, in a very tight time frame. Very few people could resist the urge to open these $100 booster packs once they had their hands on them. There is a glut of inventory currently sitting on TCG Player that not unlike the Ultimate Masters box toppers will take some time to dissipate. It has overcome the near-term demand in the market until such time as the market is able to chew it away. And the extent to which that will happen from card to card is going to, in large part, be based on their overall demand profiles. And part of the reason that some of it's not getting chewed away is because some of the stuff is very specific to formats that nobody's able to play right now. Um, You know, foil, borderless, dot seizes might be in much higher demand in October 2019 if people were getting ready for modern tournaments. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, and that's fair, right? Like some of the more keen listeners might be like, well, Travis, it doesn't really matter how rare they are relative to each other because once you get a little bit of the ways out of the printing period, um, it doesn't really matter, right? Like either there's copies on the market or there aren't. And beyond that, it, it doesn't really matter because the demand's high enough, blah, 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 uh, which is true to an extent, but it still would be nice to have that information available, especially for stuff that was printed within the last year. Yeah, there's definitely been, there's a couple of, of follow-on points to that. One of them is that rarities have been um, getting kind of messy this year. The, and and that creates kind of confusion that makes it harder to move product because players don't have very easy touchstones by which to uh, relate one option to another. And what I mean by that is if you rewind Magic like 10 years before the introduction of Mythics, the really the only question was, is it a rare or not? And is it foil or not? And that's really all, all you needed to know. And... People had a general sense for a long time that, you know, a good rare in standard could be 10 to 20 bucks and, you know, more or less everything else was going to be bulk. Then they introduced mythics. Now we've got a whole, you know, fast forward 10 years, we've got a whole heap of different premium treatments, a lot of which, as you've pointed out, look the same. So if you're in a now you're setting up a showcase at the first GP back in 2021 or something, and you've got a stack of the borderless foil cultivates next to borderless foil force of wills. Okay, well people know that force of will is worth more than cultivate, but do they can they on visual inspection relate the the rarity of the two cards? No, not really, because they're using the same kind of treatment on cards that have very different overall supply profiles. And I think that's a mistake in their product mix, um, in the product design side of their game management. Because I think that you stand to benefit from when people can readily identify 
what level of premium a given product is. An example would be something like, you know, Prada might have a red stripe on a certain price point of their clothing that is absent on a lower price point. And that kind of signaling to your target audience can be important at retail to make sure that people parse product options quickly and slot themselves into the appropriate price category. Mm-hmm. I, I, I agree entirely that I really, I, I dislike, I mean, I dislike how much of a muddle this has become. It, it's like a comp- unbelievable how much of a different universe this is compared to where Magic was back in the, um, you know, six, seven years ago, basically what, when I, right before Expedition started, uh, when it was so much easier than to figure this out. And I agree, it's just this mess now because I can, I can look at two extended art rare cards and be like, well, uh, I one of these had 25, 30,000 copies released and one of them had 8,000 copies released and I have no way of knowing which one, which one. Was Unless which. you do some serious research. Right. You have to go through, like do, figure it out. But like, I can't at a glance tell how, how like that this is a box topper and they're much more rare than just a borderless copy, which is way more available. Um, well, it is, it is aggravating. Well, and that's the thing with the, you know, foil Japanese war, the spark planeswalkers as well, because yeah, people knew that they were only available in the Japanese product. But unless you've done enough research to know what percentage of the overall market the Japanese product likely occupies and then be able to parse, okay, but they did add some additional inventory for the global market. So what does that bring that up to? And then be able to figure, you know, have some sense of what Hasbro's revenue is and be able to work backwards from that to figure out how many boxes were likely printed. Like that's all the work we did to figure out in June of 2020, hey, we should probably be buying some of these foil planeswalkers because they are going to be, they are at a much lower print run than people realize. And that's a lot of steps of research and logic to get to, and Wizards is doing literally zero to inform their their market. And it's interesting to flag that because over in uh, sports cards, for instance, the big resurgence in that hobby has come from the exact opposite where they have been very specific about how many copies of things to the point of numbering them and being one of a hundred, one of 10, one of a thousand uh, copies total of a, of a card being printed has become a big deal in that hobby. And that's why that hobby is supporting thousand dollar, $10,000 booster boxes that were completely unheard of 20 years ago. Yeah, I wonder. I wonder if this is just a total oversight on the behalf of their like brand, you know, product management team, or if this was an intentional decision for some reason that we just don't have insight into. Well, I, um, I think we're going to head there. Like, I think a lot of what we've seen in the we've seen in the premium product mix has come from sports cards, and I suspect that within the next couple of years, we are going to see numbered magic cards. Which is also really odd, right? Like you would think that Wizards would be leading the charge on this, given that they don't out, they haven't been around longer than sports cards, but it seems like they've occupied a space where they could have been pioneering that for a while. Well, and keep in mind, in the in the Zendikar set boosters, you have access to foil gold signed art cards, and that's starting to edge us into the the territory I'm discussing. 
Like the, yeah, that was the, different. The next step beyond that is like foil extended art rares and mythics that ha- are numbered by the artist or something. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And then, Super rare. Yeah, and then you're going to have like whole markets forming around collecting number ones, number 500s, number 69s, etc. I don't get the 69. Can you explain it to me? It's just nice. Oh, okay. I do that to... Uh... Whenever I get some of these older guys who like make a joke that's pretty tasteless, and I'm like, you know, I get some boomer at the gym who makes a joke about something, and I'm like, I don't get it. Can you can you explain that to me? Yeah, it's real awkward. Um, put for them, them on the spot, and they just can't. Uh, yeah, I mean, maybe this is the way this all goes. Uh, they've certainly got all the pieces are there. Honestly, I could definitely see that. I don't really have any insight beyond that, but like, we don't we. I feel like there's at least one more, one to two more strata of rarity of cards that we they have not approached yet. Yep. The type of thing that's like, oh well, it used to be you'd get one every two to three boxes. You know the expeditions and stuff like that are like one ish per case. But like you could go, I don't know, what's a pallet? How many boxes are in a pallet? Right? Like you could go even bigger than that. And go, all right, well, realistically, there's going to be four opened in each state. Well, and you can do some really cool stuff now that they've figured out how to print DFCs relatively easily, which is like the signal they sent with Zendikar Rising. Um, They could have done something like, yeah, you get foil uh, expeditions in your collector booster boxes. But one out of every 10 collector booster boxes will have a double-sided foil expedition with an expedition on one side and a different one on the other. So you're basically getting two cards in one. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. There's some magic specific stuff that doesn't necessarily make sense in other hobbies that would work totally well here. And, yeah. and then your foil expedition doesn't, uh, because it's foiled on both sides, it doesn't, um, just like the DFCs, it doesn't curl. So those become pretty sought after. You know, you got like a Cavern of Souls on one side and a Bloodstained Mire on the other. Oof. Yeah, I don't know how the legality of that would be a bit of a mess. I'd have to figure something out there. But I, I agree that there's avenues they could go down. And I'm sure if you dipped your toe into the sports card market, you could see a lot of the ideas they've come up with. And if I sat and spent 20 minutes brainstorming this, I'm sure we could come up with some pretty wild stuff. So the, the last point I want to make about those uncommon extended arts is that we're edging closer and closer now that you can get uncommons in extended art to whole decks being able to be on extended art yeah like which is clearly almost certainly one of the factors that got them to that point where they're like you know if we really want people to be collecting these and building decks with them we should help help them like make these look uniform and Mm -hmm. and that's one of the things that despite all the different things they've tried this year i do appreciate that at least so far extended arts have all been handled pretty much the same and I hope that does continue because I think there's major benefits to be conferred from them all having the same look and feel. It was probably like a year and a half, maybe two years ago on the cast where I was complaining about how I thought it was a mistake longer term that they had done a different theme for all of the masterpieces. Because while yeah. it made perfect sense from a, uh, you know, matching the theme of the masterpieces to the plane, I get that entirely um, as a product from a product design perspective. It doesn't make sense from an experience, a longer-term experience design perspective, if you think that a big part of your market is OCD-ish 
and wants their decks to look very same-same. Yeah, I remember those conversations, and I was pretty much on the same page of you. It's like, it's cool that they have a different design each time, but this is listening, missing the uniformity that would be awfully nice. Boy, they could do that, too. Imagine if they say, okay, uh, this spring or, you know, this winter is Kaldheim, and you can find every single card in Kaldheim in a matte black-on-black finish. And they are obnoxiously rare. And if you want to build a 60-card deck of the, all of these cards that look like this, good luck. But it's possible. And then they did that for like four years, right? So all of these cards, every set, everything was available in that same treatment so that you could build these, you know, these uniform decks. That would be... People would go nuts trying to put those together. That would be really cool. It wouldn't have to be matte black. You could do like a, like an all gold treatment, like shiny gold or silver. There's so many different ways you could go with it. Yeah, and I think part of the math surrounding all that is you need to have a high enough product run that the ultra, ultra rares uh, are... There's going to be enough of them in the world for them to not just be stratospherically expensive immediately. There's a big difference yeah. if you're printing $200 million worth of product versus $1.5 billion or $3 billion worth of product. Huge difference. And if your game is you know, only getting played by 10,000 people, there's virtually no reason to even try that little experiment because you're not going to print enough product to generate enough of the... like. Say a card can... There's 300 cards in your set, but you're only going to print... 10 million dollars worth of product your ultra 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 rares just they there wouldn't be enough copies <laughs> yeah you know what i'm saying yeah. like if, you, if you're only getting them one in every hundred box you can pretty much figure out we really need to be selling over you know 400 million dollars worth of product for the for us to even put out 10 full sets of these things at the rarity drop rate that we're discussing so that mm-hmm. that certainly plays in um Anyway, that's about as much of the Commander Legend stuff as we're we're willing to discuss at this moment in time. Next week <laughs> we barely didn't discuss it all. <laughs> yeah, next week we should have the first round of actual spoilers, and we'll have some legit stuff to dive in on. Um, I did want to flag one last thing that I was tracking over the last couple of weeks. YouTube and podcast personality Logan Paul bought an extremely expensive booster box of oh, Pokemon, and sold pack slots at $11,000 a pack. How much was that box? How much did he pay for it? Well, how much what was the retail value, market value of that box? Well, that that priced the box at over $200,000. For basically the Pokémon equivalent of Alpha and indeed, I think they pr- they pulled a foil Charizard, which was a little that- a little off center. A Charizard is basically like their Black Lotus. I would say, isn't that the best one? Yeah. So this is a first edition foil Charizard. I think they figured it was probably a nine if they graded it. So it's probably like sixty to eighty thousand dollars. And they did pull two. I think it was two foil Blastoise, which is you know not so bad either. Um, so it looked like the box got pretty close to reclaiming most of the value. Maybe it, it got two thirds of the way there or something. And some people put in 11,000 bucks and basically got like a $5 pack and a handful of people managed to go like double two to five times or something. Um, 
I'm flagging this because Pokemon is has all the markings of being the most important TCG brand because it has a much wider, much larger overall audience on the back of it being a video game first and a TCG second. And it's worth our listeners knowing that this is going on in the Pokemon market and A, they might have Pokemon cards sitting around from their youth that they might want to pull up and double check what they've got because I went through my bulk from the Super Collection purchase in 2015 and realized I've got like $600 worth of Pokemon cards in there. Uh, including a foil Charizard of my son, of my own um, that uh, is not first edition, but is uh, in pretty nice condition overall. And also worth taking a look at what the, how this market is moving, because this is a hobby where $2,000 graded cards a year ago are now going for $10,000 plus. So truly explosive motion. And just worth tracking if you care about collectibles overall because you know maybe we'll do a deeper dive on it on a future episode but it's almost certainly has a little to do with people looking for inflationary hedges as we saw in 2017 okay i mean interesting that that's going on there i can't disagree with that uh man it's a lot of money yeah man it's a lot of money Okay, so uh, where can people find you online, Travis? Uh, I continue to be on Twitter at wizardbumpin, B-U-M-P-I-N. How about yourself? You guys can find me on Twitter at mdgcritic, as well as via my occasional articles on mdgprice.com and my constant haunting of the ProTrader Discord. I also like to remind our listeners to check out the mtgprice.com Pro Trader service for just $7.99 a month or $79.99 per year. You can get early access to this podcast, fantastic articles by the best MTG finance minds in the business, and a super active Discord forum that will drive better returns and save you money playing Magic the Gathering. Once again, MTG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool stuff in stock, including all the best in Magic the Gathering singles, sealed product, and a plethora of other collectibles. Use the promo code FINANCE5 during checkout at Cool Stuff Inc. to save 5% off your order and support this podcast. Which brings us to the end of episode 241. Uh, another interesting one in the books. So I'm going to have a lot to talk about next week, maybe with Commander Legends, maybe two weeks away. Um... But fun as always, and uh, I will see you next week, James. Thank you, Travis. Thank you all of all of you out there for supporting the cast, and we'll see you next week on another episode of MTG Fast Finance. Mm-hmm.